Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you so much for being part of my world and for listening to today's episode. Now, today's episode is all about um, training professionally as a psychologist um, when you are a parent. But please, if you are not yet a parent, please do still listen because it raises such important considerations for when you start to consider your own parenting journey. And also, if you don't want to or can't have um, children of your own, it helps you to think about how you might optimally support um, those around you within training um, or even within your life generally who have children. So it raises some really important and interesting debates. I'm joined for today's podcast um, by Rose Dunstan, who is a trainee um, a clinical psychologist. Uh, and you can watch um, our chat on YouTube on the Good Thinking Psychological Services um, YouTube page um, if you'd like to. But you, of course, don't need to um, watch it if you don't want to. You can just listen. I need to apologise that my audio is quite quiet um, in in today's podcast. Um, I'm not quite sure why, so you might just need to turn it up ever so slightly, but I have adjusted the jingles so that they're a little bit quieter so they won't um, suddenly deafen you. Um, Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but um, needed to make sure that you could hear both myself and Rose throughout, so I hope that you will find that okay. Um, Also need to say that I only spotted when I was editing that I'd accidentally used the wrong frame on YouTube. Um, It does say a Aspiring Psychologist membership rather than Aspiring Psychologist podcast. But Rose's details are all correct. And I I will admit that's the only side I've checked um, because I assumed it was right. But as we all know, assume makes an ass of you and me. So I hope you will forgive me and not think that I am indeed an ass. Um, If you do, (laughs) thanks anyway for listening and still being part of my world whilst simultaneously thinking that I am an ass. Uh, That said, if you are interested in the Aspiring Psychologist membership, we have had lots of success with getting people um, onto training courses this year, which is just wonderful. But it does mean we've got a few spaces available um, and then it's open for more members from the 1st of July. So if you're interested in that, then do check out um, the Linktree link, um, which gives you more details um, of the membership. And that can be found in the show notes 
or um, usually at the top of all of the socials um, for where you see me online. Um, okay, I think that is everything for now, um, but I hope you find it a really useful episode. It is a slightly longer episode than usual because there was so much to say. Um, so yeah, cozy up, um, you know, give yourself a chunk of time because I think it is getting on for just over 50 minutes, five zero, so quite a lot longer than usual, but all good stuff and such important personal and professional debates in psychology. So this is mainly taken, perhaps only taken really from a female perspective. I would love to be able to have similar debates um, with um, someone who identifies as male um, about becoming a parent on the course or starting training, um, we know, with children or child already. So if that describes you and you'd like to come on the podcast, then do please make contact with me. But otherwise, um, just enjoy um, and, you know, have an open mind if you're not yet a parent. Um, and this, you know, just really interesting conversation um, between myself and Rose. So hope you'll find it useful and I'll catch you again at the end. So I am joined by Rose um, today. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Rose Dunstan. I am a third year trainee um, on the Doctorate of Clinical Psychology training. Um, and I'm also the mother of a, a little boy who's just turned four. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. And yeah, like four-year-olds are bags of fun, but they are also high energy um, and, you know, take a lot from you. So could you tell us a little bit about, um, about your journey to psychology before we start to think about your little boy, um, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. So you can probably tell from my accent that I wasn't born here. Um, I was born in Australia and that's where I did my undergrad. Um, so I did that full time um, in psychology um, and I also worked, actually I really fell on my feet. I worked for a really lovely mental health charity full time alongside my undergraduate degree. Um, and I say it was lovely because it really like had a very strong ethos for recovery. Um, there were lot, you know, so lots and lots of peer support workers. Um, all of my managers had like lived experience of distress, um, or, and current and heard voices. Um, and so I worked there for about four years in various roles, and including at the end doing a research assistant role. Um, uh, and that was in a project to support voice hearers into the workplace. And I think part of the other reason I really enjoyed that role is that they brought in lots of external trainers and lots of them came from the UK. So they brought over like Eleanor Longdon and Rufus May, and Jackie Dillon, Ron Coleman. And these are sort of like lots of the names that you hear sort of in mental health or in psychosis um, from this country. And I, I guess that's sort of what drew my attention to maybe moving here. Um, so I, I moved to England with my husband and um, it was meant to be for a short period of time and I thought I would go home and train in Australia, but then I just sort of fell in love with the country. And um, when I, yeah, so when, once I moved here, I had some very similar roles. Um, I worked for a charity um, where I managed a high support residential service for people with a sort of inverted commas, severe and persistent 
mental illness, so just people with experiences of psychosis or, um, uh, yeah, I guess childhood trauma, lots of complex trauma. Um, and I did that for quite a long time and um, I sort of also managed some like employment services to support people into work. And I think I got to a stage where I was, you know, I've just been really loving all of my jobs. I've been growing a lot. Um, and I, but I felt like my learning started to plateau and it had always been in the back of my mind that I would apply for clinical psychology training. So I think once I realized I was going to live here forever and my learning started to plateau in these other jobs, that's when I sort of turned my sights um, to training. Um, and I completed a master's here, which I did alongside a full-time job and then applied for my first AP job. And that was in a um, neurodevelopmental assessment service for children um and and then i, I had a child and, and i got into training so it was sort of perhaps quite a different journey to other people i was never in a rush it was for me i think i felt like i'd always end up as a clinical psychologist but i just found myself in, in jobs that i just really enjoyed and i was very passionate about i was learning a lot um so I sort of meandered my way here, I guess. Um, well done yeah. to you. Um, I was speaking to someone earlier that was saying, you know, I can't believe I get paid to do this because I would actually do it for free. And that's when you know that this is a career that is just a bit of you, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Although the pay helps. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> the pay most definitely helps. The yeah. pay most definitely helps. I get very challenging otherwise. Yeah, just before we start thinking about children, um, I know that I have got people that do listen to the podcast in Australia. And I know that a question I will be asked if I don't ask you is how it worked, you know, moving from Australia to the UK and whether you were then eligible to apply for the funded places. Um, just that sort of question, if you're comfortable answering it. Yeah, certainly. Um, it, so first of all, you need to like sort of be aware of whether your degree would be accredited here. So in both countries are a little bit like our degrees are better than the other person's. Um, so it is something you need to look into. You need to make sure you have the full four-year degree in Australia to be able to convert it here but, um, by the BPS. Um, for me, I have British heritage, so I, I already had a UK passport even before I decided to move here. So it made moving to the country quite simple. Um, but you do need to have lived here for, I think it's three years to get the residency. And that's a continuous three years. So you can't have like sort of been out of the country for too long during that period. There are sort of set time frames. Um, I think it's three years. You need, need to double check that. Um, and, and once you're considered a resident of this country, you can apply. Um, I think courses will look out though for, to, you know, they want people who are going to stay here. So they will, I think, probably look out for that a little bit, um, a commitment to staying and working in the NHS. Um, yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much um, for our slight deviation, but I know that that will be a question yeah. that I am asked um, because it's important, isn't it? Especially the variability and diversity in our workforce um, and that, you know, I do believe, and I've said before, that I've got the best job in the world. Why wouldn't someone in a different country know that and think, I'd love to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can relate to that. 
So, um, we, well, before we um, started recording, we were speaking a little bit about your experience of applying um, to the doctorate. Um, would you be okay telling us a little bit about what that was like and where um, baby fell um, in that, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. So I think, I mean, one of the reasons why I guess I'm here and what I'm, I guess, quite passionate about this is because I agonized over the decision to have a baby and I, I, I can't underscore that enough like it really was agony um, because there are these really dominant narratives I think that you can't get onto training it's incredibly hard and that having any sort of difference um, just makes it harder I think and having a child would mean I guess that you might be discriminated against by courses but also that you can't get the adequate experience that you need to get onto training um, and then even if you happen to get on that you can't complete training with children because it is just so incredibly challenging um, and I, I sort of I heard that very strongly at, in the abs complete absence actually of having any narratives or stories of people who had completed training with children I don't know I really felt that and um, I yeah, I was really in a place where it's like, what if, you know, what if, they're never good, are they? But what if I dedicate myself to training and I finish and I am unable to have children? Or what if I have a child and that means that I can never get onto training? Um, and I think because there's two very uncertain things, having a child, you have no idea what your life would look like with a child. And then, so you can't sort of plan and think how I could make that work because you don't really know. And then training, you just don't know that you, like you don't know what the experience will be like, but also you don't know if you'll get on or when you'll get on. Will I get on when I'm 32 or 35 or 38? Um, and what does that mean for my fertility? So um, I really struggled with it. And I, I guess I just started applying. I um, applied after I had got my first AP job. And I and I did have the baby, and um, I applied before I knew that I was pregnant. So um, during my when sort of the interview season came up, and I, I was offered three interviews, uh, I was sort of eight months pregnant, um, and my son was born prematurely. So that meant that actually the day the day he was born, I think I had an interview, or maybe it was the day after. I'm sorry, obviously, couldn't attend. Um, and then um, I was quite poorly after he was born and I was in hospital for a week and then I had an interview two days after I'd gotten out of hospital. And um, and I attended that interview. And I think on reflection that seems actually ridiculous, <laughs> like a really um, almost silly thing to do. But I think, again, there was this narrative that like, even if you get an interview this year, you might not get one next year, so you have to apply. Oh, so you have to go, I have to do it. Um, and I did do it, having not slept for 10 days, and it, it, it didn't go well. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, do you know what? To be fair, the interview went well, but there was, there was a written component that I just, my brain just wouldn't function for. Um, and then I had an interview about a week after that, which I did attend, and I, and I got on a reserve list for that one. Um, but I actually think another probably important part of that motivation to attend is also financially. So I think... Um, I at that stage my financial situation was such that I thought I might have to work in about six months anyway um, 
And part of my rationale was, well, I could work as an AP. And after I paid for my childcare and my travel, I'll bring home about $50, so 50 pounds a week. Um, or I could go back to a more demanding job, which would be training, but at least I'd have enough money to sort of survive on. And I think that is probably, I think, one of the big barriers, I think, to having train to having children when you're trying to get onto the declin is the cost of childcare is, is just eye-wateringly high. Um, it will be almost your entire income as an, a band four AP. Um, so I guess that was the process. And then, so I didn't get on that year. And then I applied again the following year and I got two interviews and, and two offers. Um, and by that stage, my son was a year old. Oh, well, well done to you. And honestly, you're my hero attending interviews for doctorate training whilst in the fog of being a very new mother. Um, kudos to you and also getting a reserve list place that year. Like you are my hero. So well done to you <laughs> on that. You. Can I ask when you were applying the next year, whether you, you know, whether you considered more family friendly courses or whether you considered any factors around, you know, having your son or was it purely the traditional, I like the sound of that course and, you know, I've met other trainees, um, et cetera. Um, I didn't change, well, it's really hard to get any sort of sense of who is family friendly from the information on the clearinghouse. And in fact, I don't think any of the courses appear family friendly. I don't think it's mentioned anywhere. Um, I've certainly never heard of courses that like invite parents to attend or, or speak to it in, in the information that they put out before you apply. So I was sort of, it, it was a little bit blind, actually. Um, it was more about what I thought the ethos would be. Um, but actually, having said that, I then actually attended. So the two interviews that I attended um, that year, I actually attended one where I think they made it very clear, actually, it wasn't even covert. They made it very clear, I think, that they would not support parents um, to get through training or carers. It There was very much sort of a spiel at the beginning um, that made it clear that you, you had to do this on your own and we weren't going to make adjustments for you. Um, and my heart, it was so devastating. I remember I finished that interview and I walked out the door and my first thought was, I did really well today. I think I'm going to get an offer. And my second thought, which I followed about two seconds later, was, and I cannot accept it. Um, I just, I knew that I would have a miserable time. I knew that I probably wouldn't even get through it. Um, and then the following week, I did this other interview, uh, my, my training course that I'm on, and it couldn't have been a more different experience. Um, in my interview, they asked me, uh, how are you going to, like, what are your thoughts and how you might manage um, being a parent and doing this, this course? And I, and I could speak to that. And that was fine. <laughs> they seemed quite warm. And they sort of said, that they do try to take that into account and there are some adjustments that they can make and they explained what they were and um yeah it was it was such a relief um and that of course I, I got the two offers and i knew exactly where i needed to be um so it was actually very helpful really in the end but it was also you know quite heartbreaking as well thank you yeah it's so important to be treated as a human and someone that matters in this process, not just a number 
who can be so easily replaced because you're you're a person you've got a life you know you you matter to lots of people and having you just scrape through or survive that's not what we want we want you to as much as possible thrive and really enjoy aspects of your training if not the whole thing um you know but to also thrive as a mother and to have enough resources left over at the end of a day or a week to feel like you're not just utterly exhausted and then you can be a parent as well yeah and i think also you know we there's so much talk about widening access and the importance of and i, I know parenting isn't a protected characteristic it is maternity is sort of for the first whilst you're pregnant and for a year after but it's, it's not protected but I think the experience parents bring a different experience to training and there is a knowledge and an experience that can enrich sort of the knowledge of the cohort and and experiences on placement so I, it is valuable and I think it is important to have different people represented on cohorts um it really is. There's a lady on my cohort who had um, two children. There's a few people that had children, but um, had two children. And, you know, I just really valued her her insight. Um, and she became sort of the mummy of our group as well, you know. And she was the first person I'd ever heard when she was talking about parenting her children. The first person I'd ever heard to say, I love you very much but I do not like that behavior. And it was that separation for me that was really useful. You know, you're not saying, I don't like the child. You're saying, I don't like the behavior. And so going on to a CAMS placement with that kind of real world practical experience was really useful for me. You know, I didn't have, I didn't really have many people in my life who had children. So it was a really useful, you know, resource. Like you said, this isn't, you're not a burden on the cohort. You're actually a real asset yeah yeah i think that too uh yeah i think you, you get that from everyone in the cohort like everyone brings something slightly different and it it just it really enriches it. i can think of so many people who are just popping to mind now who i've learned so much from from those little comments in teaching or in that small tutorial group where they've just spoken to their experience of something and it's it's planted to see that you can draw on later um yeah I love that. You're all part of a jigsaw that fits together to yeah. enrich each other's experience. Definitely. And as you were talking, I was thinking about maybe there's room here for courses to speak to this in their, you know, application information about, um, you know, becoming a parent either during training. They try to dissuade that quite heavily, don't they? Um, but people, it does happen. You know, people will have standard maternity leave within a normal fixed term contract which is training um, and we'll get um, occupational maternity pay throughout training um, and it's quite common I think in my experience for at least a couple of people per cohort to have a baby at some point during that three-year fixed period. Yeah we've had quite a few people I think um, in my cohort as well and it, it really bothers me that there is a strong message where people are dissuaded from doing that. Um, I think people need to be able to make decisions about their own lives and, and if it feels like the right time to have a child and there might be so many reasons for that that people should be supported in those decisions. Um, I think you know, as it is quite difficult to get onto training and it can take quite a long time. I think that the average age is about 28 and we're talking about often at the moment women. Um, I don't know that people actually consider the impact on people's fertility as well. Um, I, I do know people who have had eggs frozen because they've been so worried. I know even more who've looked into it. I myself looked into it. 
um, and I was put off because the cost is just so high and it's incredibly intrusive. Um, and I think just because you want to get people through a course, like there's like this rule, like I guess throughput must be the, the main KPI, I imagine, for edu um, NHS or Education England. Um, but actually, yeah, we're not just a number, we are human beings. And if people want to have families and it feels like the right time, I think people need to be supported to do that. And, and I guess it is a question that comes up a lot. You'll see it on like the AP groups and what happens if I get pregnant? Will I get kicked off the course? There are these real, like, I don't, I don't think people understand their employment rights that, you know, you are entitled to maternity leave. Um, you are entitled to five days of carers leave a year. You can apply for flexible working. Some courses I think would support that. Some probably would not, but you, you know, we are able to ask flexible working arrangements. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. And I was trying to reflect on my experience of training um, and also my knowledge of having young children. And I had my children after I'd qualified. But, you know, I know that when I was working in the NHS, there had to be some flexibility for suddenly, you know, you suddenly get a call on a Monday saying, your child is getting the merit this weekend on, fr on Friday. Can you come? And you're like... <laughs> Oh, could you not book it a bit earlier? Um, but then suddenly, you know, you're due into assembly on Friday to watch them get the merit. And I was trying to reflect how that would have been during training. Um, and Friday was our teaching day. So there really, I don't think, would have been much flexibility. You know, they might have said I could have gone late. But if it had cropped up on a placement day, I think that my placement supervisors were very human. Um, so long as it wasn't going to impact too much on the day or if I was going to then work from home a little bit that evening, I think it would have been supported um, because my placement supervisors definitely saw me as a human um, and they were all parents, I think. And I think that really helps with the context, doesn't it? If someone gets the real struggles about being a parent, then they're more willing to be flexible and to, yeah, to make a bespoke fit for you that helps you and helps the service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've also had really wonderful experiences with my supervisors. They've all been incredibly supportive. And in fact, one wasn't a parent, but I think she was quite open about that and just really curious and was like, I might not understand things. Please explain them to me. But she also, I know that she went out and asked her friends who had children and asked people about different experiences of children of a similar age. And I valued that so much that she actually took the time to try to to understand what my you know what my context looks like and and some of the demands that I do have on me. Um, so yeah, really excellent experiences. I I I do know that that's not universal. So I've I've certainly spoken to people who have had a really rough time trying to negotiate even very small changes. Like, can I work eight thirty to four thirty instead of nine to five? And even when there wasn't a specific service reason. Why that couldn't happen it's just no we only do nine to five type responses i wonder though if that has changed like that was just pre-pandemic so i do wonder if maybe COVID has helped people to think and work more flexibly and and to be more okay with flexible working um yeah, yeah i think um when i was newly qualified i was having to travel like 
30 miles each way to get to work and it was central Birmingham which was a nightmare to get in and out of and so um, there was flexibility with them allowing me to work early and giving me a key yeah. to get into the building and giving me the you know the fire safety codes um, to to turn off all the alarms and things and I think if I you know because often you'll need to drop the kids at, at nursery at a certain time won't you and then be on your way and it just adds that bit extra time so I think do ask for flexibility because if you don't ask you don't know yeah absolutely your supervisor your ex-supervisor sounds wonderfully holistic and actually really practicing what we preach with clients but actually it's really important we do that with our colleagues and with our workforce too uh, yeah absolutely it, uh, yeah and like I said that has been my experience is generally people have been really really supportive and really understanding and so alongside my placement supervisors my I think my man, we call them a manager at my training course, I think places call them a clinical tutor, has been really wonderful as well. Um, really supportive. And I think I was made, I, I think before I felt like I would be seen as a burden or I'd be seen as like the trainee with extra needs and that's an annoyance to people. I like create extra paperwork or need more time or need more meetings or whatever. But I, I don't think I've ever been made to feel like that. Um, there has been a real just sort of like yeah acceptance that you know I am a person I do have other needs and actually my role as mother is incredibly important um, and people you know are practicing what they preach um, as psychologists that you know attachment and achievement and being there for your children is is crucial it really is it really is but also as a parent myself I know some I know it's just a, it's a mad ride it's a, it's a mad <laughs> ride and training can feel that way as well and then of course it's not just the placements it's not just the you know the teaching days there's also assignments how have you found you know putting assignments around a your work life but also your family life yeah uh, it was much easier pre-covid so actually I think for the first six months of my course I think I managed all of that. I managed things really well. I went in very, very organized. I, I did a lot of planning about sort of where I would live. I did relocate for the course, where my son's nursery was, trying to like minimize stress at the beginning and end of the day. Um, and I worked on my assignments very early. So I was like really aware that he could get sick, you know, a week before an assignment is due. So I just started everything early and I really, made very good use of all of my time. Um, so I think I finished my first assignment about two or three months early. I, you know, and, and that was working really well. And then COVID came and I actually became very ill. I got COVID sort of before the first lockdown. I got long COVID. I also have some chronic health problems and it sort of it all interacted and I became quite poorly. Um, so I've sort of been managing that alongside as well. And, and what it ended up meaning is I had to really evaluate what I could do. So what were my, what were these balls that I had in the air and which ones are glass and which ones are rubber? And I decided that my placement was a glass ball. You know, I had to really do the right thing by my clients and by my services um, and focus on that work. Obviously my child and my family was a glass ball and these balls that can't drop it. And I guess assignments became the balls that could drop. Um, and I just had some really open conversations with my manager and, I, and all my deadlines were moved. 
to places that felt more manageable. So I I haven't been yeah working at the same rate as other people. I have more time to complete my assignments. Um, it's really hard to say. I, that really has been like framed around my health, um, and I'm not sure how it would be framed if if it was purely from a parenting perspective, I suspect that I would be supported to move deadlines um, because of parenting, maybe not to the same extent. It's, it's really, it is quite difficult to say. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, basically I haven't kept up with my assignments is the short answer. I'm getting there, but. Um, do you tend to use your study days to do your assignments or is your little boy perhaps during COVID your little boy was there all the time I don't know what the agreement was with your nursery some some just shut didn't they yes his nursery did shut um but for a few weeks for a few weeks we did this ridiculous system where like my husband and I would work between like 5 a.m and 8 p.m so we both got a full day of working and like did childcare amongst it but fortunately we got him into a hub nursery um but it was you know 40 minute drive away we were doing like an hour and a half driving each per day to get him into some childcare. so we were very fortunate in that sense we didn't completely lose childcare. um so yeah, i use my study days really effectively i you know it is my free time he is in childcare. i need to get things done and i think i think that was one of the things about being a parent is that you really one of the challenges a loss of flexibility you know you can't just work whenever you want whenever suits you whenever you feel like it or you some motivation kicks in you have to work at set times you know around childcare. and um in some ways that's really helpful though it, i think it does mean that i procrastinate less um i get more things done in the blocks of time that i have because i know it will feed into my time with my son and that is huge motivation to just get things done i, I don't want to be you know, locked in an office all weekend, ignoring him. I, I want to spend my weekends with him. So, um, you know, it, it, there are pros and cons to it. Definitely, definitely. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think would be useful for us to talk about or anything to add in any of the areas that we've spoken about? I guess maybe we could speak a little bit through maybe some of the, like, the pros and cons of, of parenting. I don't know if that might help during the decline it might maybe bring it to life a little bit for people um who are thinking about having a child yeah so i think Certainly. maybe please do yeah so i guess maybe for me i think the pros there are so many pros that that are sort of i never envisaged and, and i think one of them is just how much joy that is brought into my life from having a child um and the love and to you know be met with cuddles and have someone in your life who's just so so happy to see you um it's really nice and I think how play forces you to be very mindful and very present it pulls you away from your worries I spent a lot of time stomping in puddles and uh looking at aeroplanes and, and animals and flowers and I just think it's really good for my mental health and it's really good to pull me away from the stresses of the doctorate perhaps um I guess I've already already spoken a bit about time management and how that helps me there. But I think maybe also it really brings theories to life for me. So for instance, attachment theory, I've always, it's not that complicated to understand, but I think when you have it right in front of you, it sort of, you know, you can see like what attunement looks like. This is, a, I'm attuned to my child right now, or, 
and you can see how like separation anxiety and things play out um it brings like developmental psychology to life it, you know i always forget like the milestone and the stages and now i don't because they're right there in front of me um and perhaps it helps me a little bit with um on placement you know working with families i remember when i worked in the neurodevelopmental assessment service always being like quite puzzled why parents couldn't remember milestones like <laughs> when did your child first sleep through the night they have no idea or like when they uttered their first word and so like how do you not know this it's like well now i know why they don't know this <laughs> it's very a lot happens in that time it's um, perhaps appropriate for me to now disclose that the tooth fairy did forget to come in our house last <laughs> night like yeah. you know it matters very much at that moment yeah. but then a split second later you're on to doing something else and you just forget and yeah Sometimes you do drop those balls. And I love that idea of your um, rubber balls and glass balls. I hadn't heard of that before, but I'm going to keep that. But yeah, I'm hoping that the tooth fairy doesn't turn out to be a glass ball. And that, that's we're going to be able to repair that rupture this evening. <laughs> Ongoing consequences for, for forgetting. But it, it is this. It's like the fallibility of parents. And, it, and I think when you're like working in camps, maybe, and you're thinking about homework tasks that parents are supporting children with, really being able to hold in mind what everyone's experience is obviously different but having an idea of some of the demands that might be on that parent and why they might not be able to support that child with that task um you know and it's like all those things you don't need an experience to understand it but i think it certainly helps perhaps um so there's some of the positives and i definitely you know some of the we do this thing when we go to bed each one i'm not going to bed but my kids are what was the favorite part of your day and what was the least favorite part of the day and the kids both do theirs and then they'll ask me um and sometimes they all say what's the funniest part of your day and you're like oh god i really didn't have a very funny day today you know <laughs> but it, it does force you to look for that gratitude you know and to look for the things that we could make different tomorrow and um, the things we could strive to do better better um, or in a different way and I really love that you know um, just some of my joyful moments will be when my little boys like really in my face and the other, the other day we were talking about teeth and how white my little boys teeth are because they're like super white aren't they and he goes mummy you've got beautiful golden teeth and I'm like oh but, you know they think they're being really nice so actually like oh, you're basically saying I've got yellow teeth thanks kid but you know just adorable adorable yeah. love and you know like you said they're so pleased to see you you make a cheer when you walk through the door yeah I basically yeah. do have a little cheerleader who follows I love your jumper mummy you are so kind you're my favorite person I love you like you know it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh yeah. oh they do grow up they do grow up but um I've got two boys and they're both still very cuddly at the age of eight and almost six. They're adorable, but it is tricky. It's not all a bed of roses. Should we perhaps think about some of the, the difficult patches of parenting? I will just chuck in there the concept of sleep. And now I'm just going to let you get on with that. Get on with that one. Well, actually, before I jump on that, could I add one more positive? Because I think it's one that slipped my mind, but I think of it's course important. You can. And I think it slipped my mind because it's the absence of something. And I think for me, it's the absence of the distress I was feeling about not being a parent yet. And this, this, this sense of like, my life will start after. My life will start after I get onto training or my life will start after I qualify and sort of always waiting for the future to have the things that you want. And I think I don't experience that distress anymore. And it was very consuming. So I think, 
I have a child and I'm on training. I've sort of got my cake and I got to eat it too. And um, and that for me is probably the biggest positive, actually. That's um, so important. Thank you so much for, for including that. It is it's exhausting when you're trying to make a decision, isn't it? And it can consume all of your thoughts. Um, so, yeah, it's really important. And like you said, you know, it probably can take an average from graduating undergrad to starting clinical training about seven or eight years. But that places you at, at least 28, 27, you know, 29 maybe. And like you said, that really is a key window in infertility journeys for, for people. Um, so it is a big deal. Um, it's not really something I'd thought about until until this interview. Um, I started the course single, actually, um, and met my partner in the second week of the second year. And so, you know, we got through it and then got married and then had a baby like a year later. But if I'd met him a few years before, then it might well have been the right time to have a child during training. Yeah, I sort of do hope that by having these conversations, it's something that people might hold in mind a little bit more or because I can see why people wouldn't think about that. So hopefully yeah it's just sort of the discussion that can start being had a little bit more yeah i think it's really important should we think about some of the some of the some of the drawbacks or some of the negatives yeah the tricky parts exactly that <laughs> i mean sleep is a big one isn't it i i i'm quite lucky in that i have had a child who, who does sleep quite well um but you know it's not consistent and i think maybe the, the thing that struck me the most even amid all of my planning um i was not aware that when small children attend nursery for the first time they basically need to develop an immune system um so he was immune to nothing um and for the first six months i'm not exaggerating when i say he got a cold either every week or every second week he was always sick um and there were minor illnesses um but what it does mean is that when you stick it it disrupts his sleep he can be just a little bit miserable um but also i don't have the best immune system so i was probably picked up every second cold that he had so i was also perpetually sick for six months um and again they were quite low level i think one or two developed into infections but you know you just, but it is exhausting to sort of be unwell for such a long period of time um, parenting anyway. is, is hard enough without a cough that keeps them awake all night you know oh my gosh and and you no know, like the gag reflex he coughs and he vomits and then he cries because it's not, and that happens a lot um, there's a lot of like late night laundry um and late night baths um i think just children are just so unpredictable aren't they because there's the illness but there's just other things crop up They're, they go through different state developmental stages they go through sleep regressions um and it just happens when you you don't expect it and there is just never a good time you know people are like oh it's, it was a bad time for that to happen there is never a good time in your training for something to go wrong with your child there will always be clinical work or important teaching or that important MRP meeting or something. Um, so it's just this constant juggle and there was a real um, cognitive workload and an emotional workload that sort of goes with that. You're constantly rejuggling your schedule and your priorities and having to explain things to people and reschedule things. And, you know, it can be really exhausting. Um, I think for me, there have been huge there have been quite big issues with childcare. So even 
even though he could stay in childcare um, throughout COVID. I don't know if people are aware there's been like a huge impact on the early years sector. COVID and Brexit has meant a mass loss of staff. Um, there are lots of vacancies. And for me, that means that they have room closures really often. So probably there's been a period where nursery will just close for a day a week um, or every second week. Um, and I'm left with no childcare. Um, and I'm very fortunate my husband has a very flexible job. So he, he picks that up when that happens. And I guess other people might have a wider family who could support them. But I think being aware that childcare isn't as consistent as you might think it is. Um, and again, that's just a last minute juggle of let's um, change our priorities. Have you been able to form much of a mummy or parenting network around you? Because I know that your parents are likely in Australia and the idea of raising my children without, um, you know, family around would be very, very tricky for me. How's that been for you? It has been very, very tricky. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't have any immediate family in England. Um, and even my extended family are far away. Um, and neither does my husband. So it really is just the two of us. Um, and because I relocated from the court, I also moved away from my mother's group. I moved away from some very close friends who were the people that I relied on last minute for support. Um, and then even throughout COVID, you know, we didn't have a bubble. It was literally just the two of us with our, and our son. Um, so no, there aren't people I can call on last minute. So like I know during okay. the pandemic, there was a time where like we were isolating. My son had a really high temperature. We were nearly out of cowpole. There was a shortage in the shops around us. And I was like, I cannot get cowpole. Like I have no one I can call who can bring me cowpole. And it was so it was really hard. Um, so I don't know that I'd recommend that. I think thinking carefully about relocation and where you live and who is around you because having people around you know is really important and i think in my mind i thought i'd be able to make those links um after i moved but then of course the pandemic happened and i couldn't embed myself in my community i couldn't um make those friends so i guess i'm only just starting to do that now i would say you haven't got that currently but my experience of you know being in a primary school is that I really hope you'll have that soon um, so I am part of um, a year four group and a year one group um, which is kind of it formed off the back of a birthday party actually someone had put together a birthday party list for the mums on whatsapp and after that, we decided to just all stay on it. And it's been invaluable. And also chats at the school gates and stuff has been really useful from preschool onwards that they've been in the same school. But um, I have honestly made friends and people that definitely, you know, during COVID as well, like, do you need anything? If people have been ill, I'll drop it around to you. You know, I'll do this. I'll go to the shops. I'm going anyway. Uh, and then all these like school collections that happen. Oh, we're going to send stuff to the Ukraine. And I was um, off sick with um, a sickness bug. And I was like, I can't get to the supermarket. And someone else was like, well, I'll buy nappies for you and I'll drop them into school and just ping me the money on PayPal. And actually, it does take a community to raise a child. And I personally have found that I've really built an important community 
in the other school parents, not even just the mums. There's, da- there's dads that have been really important in that as well. So I really hope that with your little boy about to start school, that you'll have some of that and you'll find some really supportive tribe members yourself. Thank you. That, that is my hope as well. And I guess we're just starting to do it a little bit with preschool. And now that like the room is like the nursery is just open for the first time, we just allowed back in and you can already sort of feel those differences. Um, so, yeah, that is that is my hope. It would be wonderful. Um, I guess one other thing that perhaps I wanted to speak to a little bit is a thing that I hadn't anticipated going on to training with a child is actually how different I felt and how it felt a very, very lonely place to be, I think, initially. And I really didn't anticipate it because I think for my life, I've always been around parents. In my undergrad, I had friends with children. In all of my work, I've always, there's always been people with parents who were parents, sorry, my masters, everywhere. And then you sort of get onto training and it's just sort of like, there are no parents here. I had a very large cohort of, I think, 44, and there was one other parent, um, but just one amongst 44. And having her was invaluable, I think. Um, However, her children were a lot older, so there are still differences there. And I think going into that space, and uh, I just, I think I felt very alone. um, And I think I felt very, not misunderstood, you know, misunderstood. Um, And like, there was a huge part of my identity that maybe I don't, wasn't invited or wasn't, yeah included perhaps and um and that's you know everyone on my cohort they're lovely people i love everyone on my cohort it wasn't it's not about individual people it was i think it is just about the way that the declin is positioned and framed and um you know not being able to always go out for drinks when people go out because you have other responsibilities or if people are going you know having a picnic on the weekend being like well i don't think i can make that work and yeah I, I really wasn't prepared for that um so but i think i there is something about owning your position and i think if i were more confident in that i could have brought more of myself and i could have felt more authentic and i could have felt less lonely um so it's certainly a challenge i think it is something that can be overcome and, you know, if people are sort of more confident in in that position it's very important and i'm imagining that picnic you know they might have said oh you could, you could bring him along but also oh, having yeah been on a picnic with young children you would spend most of your time going and looking at the ducks and you know <laughs> going and going and looking at things in the far corner of the field um and that would not be relaxing and it wouldn't be wouldn't be enriching for you um because everyone else would be having a lovely time and you'd just be off you know doing something different and so it's not always that you can you know enmesh the two yeah that's true although i think i don't know there you you'll just you find people though who who enable you to do that you'll find the friend who will walk with and look at the ducks with you or you know the friend who can come over and happily sit with you in your bathroom while you bathe your child and chat or will be with you while you're cooking dinner um and i think it's about finding your people but maybe yes, it's also you're about so, you're so right actually yeah. my um my husband started a new job on our little boys our, our only child at the time's first birthday and um I was just really upset about that um because he was off training for like a whole week um but it was a member of my cohort who came around and did exactly that did a bath did cake with me um and you know bought him a little present and you you know you absolutely can find your tribe during training as well even if they don't have parents she didn't have parents didn't have children at the time um, so yeah, I think that's a really, a really valid point. So thank you for making it, Rose. Yeah, 
and maybe people who are listening who aren't yet parents but maybe if you you end up on training this year like maybe it could be something that you think about like maybe you could seek out the parent maybe you could invite the parent to the picnic and go and look at the ducks with them and maybe or invite them to the pub which is easier if you have a very small child baby but maybe if people could hold that in mind a little bit that would be nice um it really would it really would it feels like i could talk to you all day because there's so yeah. much about this it feels like we need to do like a, a special extended edition for all these factors because there's so much um so much important stuff um i just wanted to say a big thank you to um your 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 um university for allowing you to come and speak so openly today um because it's it's an invaluable conversation to have yeah yeah thank you so much for having me i have really enjoyed doing it um yeah and i am very grateful to my university and i don't know that i've sort of they did give me permission to speak today but and i am i have had a really good experience with them they have been very very supportive and um yeah i guess i would really encourage people to to think very carefully about what course they do apply to it and if it if at interview if it does feel right for them um and I think there's a real pressure to just like if I get an offer, I just have to accept it. But just really thinking about like, will these people, will this course support me to get through it so that I have a reasonable time? And, and will they support me to be able to be the parent that I want to be as well alongside these, you know, the big demands of training? Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for your time today, Rose. And I'd like to wish you all the very best with completing your thesis, completing your final placement, and of course, um, finding employment once all of this is over. But also, you know, with your parenting journey and any future children that you might want to have as well. I hope that you, you know, I hope that you do really well in whatever it is you want to do. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for yeah inviting me here and yeah, for opening up this conversation and I hope you know more conversations are had in the future. Thank you so much. It was through um through a chat on Instagram, I think, wasn't it, that we um that we connected. Um but thank you so much for being so generous with your time and talking with us about these really important factors. Um and wish, wishing you all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it has been such a pleasure to chat with Rose. Um, and yeah, I hope that you have found it useful and that it's resonated with you, either because you are a parent or you perhaps know some people who are parents, or maybe, you know, this will be useful for your own training journey ahead, either to become a parent um, or to start training um, when you've got children or to help optimally support and include any parents on your future cohort. Thank you so much for being part of my world. Please do take a moment to rate and review this show um, or this podcast more generally on the Apple podcast, which you can do by scrolling right down to the bottom of the show, um, right below um, episode one and below the um trailer episode and then you will spot the rate and review section to do that takes you a moment but helps me so much to help demonstrate that what we do in this podcast really matters and is really useful if you really really like the podcast you can also make a donation to help cover the costs and the details of that are in my link tree in the show notes um, there are details in the show notes as well of um, rose's um clinical course um, but I do believe that um, it is entirely possible um, to successfully have 
children on other courses too. So um, let's not massively stack out their applications next year if you are a parent. Um, but yeah, wishing you well wherever you are and stay kind to yourself. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hello, my name is Veronica Kassova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.